0: He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. This is God's word.
1: Thanks, Rachel. And uh, just a quick reminder as, first of all, if you have kids and you want to take them to our kids' room, it's back um, just on the left side there in the entryway, and uh, if you yeah, we've got a few more people here, and we have seating outside, and there's a TV out there, but also um, f- people of Mission Church. You know, the front row, this used to be, there was a, there was a great man um, who went to a mission years ago. His name was Kent, and he used to run 100 miles over the mountains um, every morning before church, and the other thing he did was he sat dead in front, like three feet away um, and not very, men, not very many men are as brave as Kent, but Thomas is. And uh, so if you ever want to make room for others in your hearts and in our seats, you could, like Kent, come and sit in the very front row. Just, just, a, little, just a little thought for you there. And then uh, Kent got married and was in a documentary and became famous and moved to Utah. And uh, the front row has been empty ever since. But let's pray. Uh, let's pray. And we will enter into this time. So join me in prayer. Father in heaven, thank you for uh, this church. Thank you for all that are gathered here today. Uh, Some of us, this has been home for a long time. For some of us, it's our first time here. And I pray that you would speak to us, um, that you would work in our lives no matter where we are at, what our journey has been with you, how well we've known you, how much we've heard of your story. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and our Redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're entering into this new series on the Magnificat, and uh, my aim this evening is to kind of orient us in this new direction. Of course, we've been, um, as I mentioned before, we've been studying the book of Galatians pretty much the whole year, and we did uh, we changed it up a little bit in the summer. But um, that's, that's where we've been, and in the, the book of Galatians, we were trying to help ourselves process the past couple years and some of the difficult things that we've faced, but also a, a need... That we felt to really understand how the gospel applied to that, and that's what we—that's what we did. We spent a lot of time on that, and now um, having you know plowed into some, sometimes some heavy topics in Galatians, and you all heard the word circumcision about five thousand more times than you ever thought you would in your life, and you did it, you made it, and now we want to move into Christmas time and just receive Christ with joy. That's kind of the idea. It's been there's been a lot. And the Christmas story is especially a story of joy entering into the world. And we think it's a great time to just saturate that. Our church needs it. Our community really needs it as well. So this is in the first chapter of Luke. So who's Luke? Luke is a physician who was a traveling companion of Paul. So Paul was our author of Galatians. Luke often traveled with him, and he was a physician and clearly a capable historian. And so he wrote um, two books uh, of the Bible. And they really would have come as one package, and that was the book of Luke and Acts. And the book of Luke is a gospel or kind of a good news story of Jesus. And the book of Acts is the stories of the early believers and the early church and how it got started. So he opens his biography of Jesus, if you will, that we call Luke in our Bible, with the foretelling of the birth of John the Baptist. That's where Luke begins. Luke begins. That's the guy. That's the guy. In ancient Israel, so Aiden already knows this, I can tell. But in ancient Israel, there were predictions that someone would be raised up by God, that there'd be a Savior figure, and before that Savior figure, someone would prepare the way. So the people of Israel, they're looking for this person to prepare the way, and that's when they think they can expect this Savior figure to come. And they don't know what that Savior figure is. Is going to look like. So Luke opens by telling us that this messenger from God, and then when you read the word angel, that's that's the word. And so you know that they didn't necessarily experience these angels as like flying from the sky or something like that. Um, they probably just experienced them as a messenger from God, especially in this case. And they may not have known if it was if this is a person or not. Um, it's unclear how they experienced them exactly, but. A messenger from God comes to one of Israel's priests. And so you imagine um, like like the temple or a synagogue of some form, and the priest is inside, and the people cannot go inside. The people have to stay outside and wait for the priest to do the work on their behalf. And so Zechariah is inside of the temple, and the people are outside, and this messenger comes to him inside the temple, which is surprising. You can't be in there if you're a common person, and tells Zechariah that he and his wife, though they are old, are going to have a son, and that their son is going to be the one that will prepare the way of the Lord. And this is a big deal. The messenger said this, he said, you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. Now, Zechariah knew a lot of things. He knew Scripture verses about this one who would prepare the way. He knew scripture verses about the, the Savior that would come. He had these memorized. These are things he taught to other people. Um, he knew in his mind this wasn't impossible because he would have taught people about Abraham in the past. And Abraham and his wife had been too old to have children. And God had made a promise to them and carried it out miraculously. He, he would have checked off all these things. I believe that, I believe that, I believe that. But God comes to him and says, it's going to happen to you. And he didn't believe it um, when it was going to happen to him and he questioned it. And God took away his voice. He went out of the temple and the people are waiting for him. And they're all, you know, what, it, what is he going to say? And he can't say anything. He's mute. And Luke tells us all this. This is all in Luke, Luke 1. And tells us that after that, Elizabeth, uh, Zechariah's wife, conceived. And then he kind of switches the story over to Mary, the mother of Jesus. And the messenger, Gabriel, um, who, by the way, Gabriel's the one who shows up in places like the book of Daniel. And in the book of Daniel, he's talking about this future savior figure. So this is, there's some significance here. And Daniel comes to a a woman that nobody would have guessed, named Mary. And we believe Mary was probably a teenager at the time. That was the common time, honestly, that people got kind of engaged or betrothed to be married. So here's a young girl who there's nothing really special or, you know, there's no expectation around her that any, anything great is going to happen in her life. And this messenger comes to her, and she's, uh, she's engaged. She's betrothed to a man named Joseph, kind of a common man, craftsman of some kind, maybe worked for Rome. We don't know. But these are common folks. They weren't wealthy. They probably weren't dirt poor, but they weren't royalty. But interestingly, they both, their their bloodlines went back to one of the great kings of Israel. And Gabriel seems to have always appeared as a man, though, um, yeah, and according to the Old Testament, he stands before the presence of God. So no ordinary man, but he appears often as a man. Um, He appears to Mary, this teenage girl, and this is their conversation. Gabriel appears to her and says, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. And this says, Mary was greatly troubled at this saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting that might be. (laughs) I think that's probably, it was probably even a little more dramatic than that sounded. She goes, I'm trying to discern what kind of greeting this might be from this man that's appeared to me and speaks from the Lord. But then, then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Now, this is a common name, okay, but not insignificant, because it meant the Lord is our salvation. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom. There will be no end. Okay, David, Jacob, who are these? Why does that matter? In the Old Testament, God had made a promise to Abraham, I mentioned Zechariah would have known about that, that he was going to create a people from his family that would be innumerable even though he was too old to have kids. And he had a kid named Isaac, and Isaac had a kid, he had several kids, but he had a kid named Jacob, who was a real pain in the neck. But Jacob is kind of proof that it's happening, if you think about it. Like, generations are going by, this lineage is continuing, and Jacob... Is kind of a rascal. He is kind of a cheater. He is kind of a jerk. And he gets in, he's in rough relationships with his brother. This is not a man that you look at and say, wow, what a great believer. But he is somebody that God is at work in. And he he is striving with God. There's a point where he even wrestles with, with this man. And ends up, ends up saying, I've wrestled with God. I've striven with, I've, I've fought with God himself. And he's injured in this moment. And in that moment, his name, this man speaks to him, changes his name to Israel. And there's a, there's a name you're all familiar with, right? Ah, the nation of Israel, the people the Bible's all about. And what does that name mean? It's they who wrestle with God. The identity of the people of God has always been they who wrestle with God. That's, that's an interesting thing for us to remember At the end of the book of Galatians that we finished just uh, last week, Paul calls all of the church, all of God's people, the Israel of God. And that's what that means. Not that that we understand God, that we uh, just always get it. We're the people that strive with God. God's at work in our lives. It's not always simple. It's not always easy. So then uh, Israel grows the nation. We uh, Many of you know they became captive in, Isra- or in Egypt, sorry. and there's a liberator Moses and some dramatic events, and they're delivered from Egypt to a promised land. And when they get to that land, God is supposed to be their king, but they look around at all the other nations, and they want a king like the other nations have. And the first one they have is terrible. His name is Saul. It didn't go well. Um, but God uh, raised up a great king after Saul, and his name was David. And that's the other person in Gabriel's message to Mary, David. God made incredible promises to David about his and Israel's future. And David um, was a great king, but he fell short of the expectations. Um, If you read his story, you'll find out he had a really big slip. um, And he he committed adultery and murdered a man. And of course, um, he died at the end of his life. And there was never so great a king as David again. And his family was no longer royal and esteemed as it was, which is why his descendants were common men and women like Joseph and Mary. So when Gabriel said, And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will never end, this is a huge statement to Jewish people and should be to us. And then Luke goes on and said, Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? and the angel departed from her. So Mary, unlike Zechariah, who she's actually related to, uh, Mary believes she's headed for, though, a rough time. She believes, but that doesn't mean it goes smooth for her because she's now unmarried and pregnant. Um, this is a difficult thing to deal with now, but in their day, that's a recipe for, at best, divorce uh, because betrothal or, or you know is not really our engagement. It's pre-commitment, and if you were to break it, um, there were repercussions. At worst, it's a it's a, a death sentence, literally, because uh, adultery is a capital crime. You might say, "Well, she wasn't married." Well, that adultery isn't just when you're married; it's any time that sexuality isn't attached to belonging. Okay. Belonging to God, belonging to your parents. There's no situation in which created beings belong only to themselves. And I don't say that to shame any of us. Our stories are all over the map, right? But I want you to understand the weight that Mary was under. In this moment, Mary, she believes this messenger has said, you have favor with God, but she's going to be despised every time she walks down the street. And she might actually be risking her life when she goes outside. Now, you can sense, I hope, the complexity of what's happening behind our text this evening, behind this song of joy, right? So here's our scripture again. Think about it in in light of all this. In those days, in those days, (laughs) where Mary's going through all that, Zechariah can't talk. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. that's what was happening in those days. We need this kind of infusion of hope these days, right? Think about it. Elizabeth and Zechariah are aging. They seem to have passed the point of hope for a child. For them, this is this is one of the the main reasons you are alive is to bear children, to you know put forward the family line. This is one of their main goals in life, and they'd probably they'd probably moved on from that a long time ago, and and life had probably become quite mundane, and. How many people around their situation? Undoubtedly, if you think about the towns and the surrounding areas, how many people of that day, or most likely had there was something that they had hoped for that hadn't panned out, and that there was kind of a mundane life that they'd settled into. How how many of them, and how many of us? We all know uh, because soon after the Mary and Joseph have to go be taxed um, by Rome, and they have to go back to their to their home city of Bethlehem and. We know that Roman occupation was going on. It wasn't fair. It wasn't good. They were unfairly taxed. They didn't have the freedoms they once had. I'm I'm sure they lived under a certain weight of despair. And the thing is, it it was Rome's Rome's fault in a way. Here's a world power that isn't fair. Um, But the Jewish people knew something because God had promised that he would never let them into that situation if they were faithful to him. And they knew they hadn't been. They knew they'd blown it. They constantly forgot God as a people. There was all sorts of idol worship that would happen and injustice that they would commit overtly, subtly. They lied, stole, cheated, and, and, you know, just broke every commandment over and over. And, And they could see that in their history. They could read, you can read the Old Testament. Read it. It's a mess. There's no hiding it. Nobody has fixed those history books. It's really, really bad. It reminds us kind of of Genesis. I opened uh, the service today with Genesis 3.15 and there's a curse on the people who had intimacy with God and they lost it because of disobedience, because they were tempted, but not only were they tempted, they gave in. And that's the same thing with Israel. They couldn't just blame it on the tempters because they gave in. They just couldn't just blame it on the oppressors because they had been unfaithful. And in The case of Genesis 3.15, God follows up their unfaithfulness with a promise that a child would be born who would crush the head of the serpent. And in Mary and Joseph's day, they still felt like they were under curse. In our day, I think we still feel like we're under a curse. And we are. And it's from outside of us, and it's from inside of us. And when we hear good news, we struggle to have faith like Adam and Eve, like Jacob, like Zechariah. And sometimes, sometimes we believe and we still endure scorn and pain like Mary did, right? So they needed joy in those days. We need joy in these days. And I hope that helps you grasp kind of the backdrop of this joyous message. And now I want to highlight the three blessings in this story to prepare us to hear more and just dissect this week after week. But blessings. What's a blessing? A blessing is a statement of utter happiness. To say blessed are you is to say happiness is coming to you or you already have it. I think this, this section tells us, this whole thing screams to us about a few things. Blessed are those who see, who believe, but mostly blessed is the child who's come into the world. Who's the happiest person in the story? Who do you think? Aiden, I know you know. Who's the happiest person? Now I lost him. The happiest person in the story is pre born John the Baptist. Isn't that interesting? Pre born John the Baptist. He is not here, right? He is like, he's here, not real, like, he is leaping, okay? and And I know that, you know, For those of you who are moms and you've gone, like, yeah, I felt my baby move, like, but has your baby ever, like, heard news? Have you ever been sitting in front of the TV, you know, and, like, on the TV, they're like, hey, guess what? The air shows this weekend. Your baby's like, yeah! No, that has not happened. That's what happened here, which is really crazy. Mary shows up and doesn't even really explain anything. And the baby is leaping for joy. And why? Why is that happening? And this is really important because earlier in Luke 1, the messenger promised that this child, John the Baptist, would be filled with the Holy Spirit before he was born. So why is John the Baptist happy and filled with joy? Because the Holy Spirit has told him Jesus is here. That is why he's so happy. And then his mother responds, right? And she shouts for joy and praises God for the child who's in Mary's womb. So how do they know? How do they see? John is unborn. His eyes see nothing happening in the world. You know, he's, he's just seeing cool visual effects, Elizabeth is just pregnant. Mary is just pregnant. Elizabeth feels her son leap, and she, it says, is filled with the Holy Spirit. She is the, get, get that, she is John the Baptist's first convert, his mother. Have you ever thought about that? The first person who is changed and receives the Holy Spirit because of John the Baptist is his mom before he's even born. So how did they see? There's only one answer. By the power of God. By the revelation of God. And you know what? Nothing's changed for the rest of us. And this is a humbling but joy-filled truth. You cannot, as a Christian who sees these truths in the Bible, ever say, I have come to Jesus because I figured it out. I have come to Jesus because I am smart and wise and I know the truth. Um, There are smarter and wiser people than you, and they don't see. They don't see Jesus. The way that you see Jesus is just like this. The Holy Spirit makes you see. The Holy Spirit works inside, and joy invades your soul and I can feel kind of like, oh, so what, what, about, what about me and my choices? But, but think about it. God, by the Spirit, he sought you out. He's at work in you, and he's at work in others. The miraculous conception of Jesus, the leaping of John in the womb, are like metaphors for how faith works. God does work that we could never do. Faith is born inside of us, and we are born again. The Spirit of God fills people who are previously empty. So, do you know the Spirit of God? Right? Do you feel empty, aimless, and lost? Many of us have, many of us do. It's the malady of our generation. I don't know. Go watch all the, read the books, watch the films on us we're empty. But there's hope. We can see. The Spirit can give favor. The Spirit leaping in someone else can capture you. That's what happened to me. I I grew up around church and I knew all the stories. I was probably kind of like Zechariah in theory. You know, I, I I was on a path to ministry, right? Like, I mean, that's, I've been, I've been doing church work since I was 18. And I, I, I grew up in it all, I read it all, but, but I felt empty. I mean, I would look in the mirror, and I've, I've told you, you know, many, many of you have heard this before. I'd look, I'd look at myself in the mirror, and I, and I would say, nobody likes this guy. And I, and I thought, about, I thought if, I, if I weren't here, nobody would care. I mean, that's, that's where I was. And, you know, all it's a girl rejects me, ooh, now I'm rock bottom. I felt I didn't feel hope. But, you know, that, that was a lie. It wasn't true. People outside of me could tell me, you know, my mom, you're such a great young man, you know. Thanks, Mom. Thanks, Betty. Yeah, shout-outs to Betty, maybe on Zoom. Um, but, you know, people could tell me, but I couldn't, I couldn't see it. It was a lie, but I couldn't tell. And, and also, here's the other side of it. I knew I wasn't a great kid. I remember the day... I walked into the office in middle school. I went to a Christian school. I hated it there. And I walked into the school, and the office lady looked at me, and she said, what happened to you? You used to be such a good kid, okay? So if I ever had any doubts that no longer was I a good kid, she, she brought some clarity. Something happened to you. And I knew it. I knew it, I could, I could sense it in me. I, you know, the, it says in the Bible, you know the good that you ought to do, but you don't. I mean, I, I would, that happened to me. I'm not supposed to steal that, but I want to, and I did. And like things like that occurred a lot. There's a list, I could entertain you with it. So one day I'm at a, I'm at a youth convention. If you know me, I'm not like big youth convention guy. Like, how many times have I invited you all to a conference, right? And this is just the irony of God is he, like, he started his work at me in, like, a giant conference with, like, a cool Christian band. It's just to humble me. If I ever really make fun of one, just, you can bring this up. Just say, isn't that really when you were, yeah, I know. Um, I heard this guy, Jacob Aranza, and he told a story about when he was a young man and the ways that God came in and changed him, the ways that he felt. And I was thinking, that's how I feel. I feel those same things. And he just, he presented to me that when he'd heard the message that Jesus had died in his place, it gave him hope and meaning. And so I had so heard this, I had heard more complex versions of this thousands of times. I'd been in church every week. We were the family. We were there Wednesday, Sunday morning, Sunday night. I'd heard this over and over, but this one time, I'd heard it a thousand times, and boom, eyes open. All of a sudden, I'm saying, I think I I need to know Jesus. So you might say, what do I do? do, Andy, how'd you come to find Jesus? I don't know. (laughs) How do you find Jesus? I don't know. I mean, seriously, I don't. I just know Mary seemed to have a tender heart, a willingness to trust God. You can cultivate a tender heart to some degree, but really, they're given. If you feel your heart growing tender, listen to that. Maybe that's what I'd say. John the Baptist was born believing. I know a couple of people where that's how it feels to me. Like, I think you were just born believing, and I'm really happy for you. That's great. Um, But the Bible goes on to show us that the same spirit opened the eyes of all kinds of people. Trader tax collectors, fishermen in their family business, religious zealots who had it all wrong. Um, Women with publicly checkered pasts. Women who were way more successful than the men in their day. We've studied all kinds of people like this over the last few years here at the church, especially when we did the discipleship series. All kinds of different people. Luke who wrote this, who was a doctor, the educated, the uneducated, God can open anybody's eyes. God causes us to see. Blessed are those who see. Want to see Jesus? The best advice I have is from him. This is what he said in the Sermon on the Mount. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find knock and it will be opened to you for everyone who asks receives the one who seeks finds the one who knocks it will be opened which one of you if your son asks them for bread will give them a stone or ask for a fish will give them a serpent if you then who are evil thanks jesus if you know if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children how much more will your father in heaven give good things to those who ask him I would just say, the character of God is his, he's very good and very generous. If you're at all interested in anything that I'm saying here, ask. Seek. Blessed are the believers. That's my next idea. That's Blessed are those who see and God makes us see. Blessed are the believers. I already told you about the simple faith of Mary, so where am I going with this one? The other key believing character in this story is Zechariah. And I didn't, I didn't finish telling you his story. You know Zechariah, who was this priest, and he'd given his life to seeking and serving God, but when he heard the messenger's proclamation of hope, he, he was hesitant, he was unsure. He, he struggled in his faith. He had some he had doubts. He didn't see how it could happen to him. And as I mentioned before, God muted him. When he left the temple, crowds waiting outside for him to minister, He came out, but he was unable to speak. But that's not all. It says that when he came out, the crowds could see that he'd encountered God. There is no shaming or diminishing of this man in the Bible. When we read this, you could read it as like, oh man, God punished him. That's not how it reads. The people outside could tell that he'd encountered God. That's all they knew. He's not put to shame. He had believed the promises of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And then he was unable to minister for nine months or more. You know, there are a lot of things to doubt. I mean, as he's watching this, who's to say that this child would survive if he did? How could you hope that he was the one preparing the way for the Lord? I mean, there are a lot of unanswered questions. The reasons for doubt could never end. People would watch John the Baptist grow up and become a powerful man, and they didn't believe he was from God. They thought he was evil. People doubted Jesus, who he, you know, kind of proclaimed, and they thought that Jesus was evil. He, you know, ate with tax collectors and sinners. And then when Jesus died, many lost hope. I mean, the, the, the trail of doubt could have never ended, but it, but it did end for Zechariah because God was at work. In Zechariah, it was just a little different than it was for Mary and Elizabeth. I think God muted Zechariah because he loved him. It was not a time for him to speak, it was a time for him to sit back and watch the faithfulness of God. And he did. He encountered God. And then he was silent and he just waited. For our church specifically, I found, I found this very interesting. This hit me a bit this week. So some of you have heard that we're working on this little north plant. Thomas is a part of that. Nick, our other pastor who's not with us tonight here, is part of that. You know, Nick, some of you all know, he was, he was here, he was leading, he was talking, right? He was preaching a lot. He can't do it right now. And, and he'll tell you why. He'll tell you, like, when he has to get up and talk, he gets physically ill. He, and he, this is a mystery in some, some regard. And you know what I find really interesting? Nick's dreamed of doing a church in northwest Tucson for years. It's actually moving and starting while he sits silent. And we hold hope and rejoice with him. It's become obvious to the elders of this church that it's, it's the right time, and it feels so strange. Like, ask any of it. We're like, it feels like the wrong time, but it's not. And Nick sits in silence. I'm not saying Nick is Zechariah. I mean, that'd be bold. I'm just saying sometimes God stops us like that, all of us, but God doesn't stop, right? Right? Sometimes God stops us so that God gets the glory, not us. Sometimes God stops us so that we can rest and trust and watch his faithfulness. Sometimes God takes our doubting hearts and he gives them rest so we can return to joy. Blessed are those who believe. And sometimes in your time of wrestling and doubt, it's hard to see God at work. And so he might slow you way, way down what if that's exactly what he does to those he loves? What if God wants to exhibit his wisdom outside of our ability to achieve or kind of conjure up in our minds his faithfulness? Maybe the call right now for some of you is to watch and let hope rise back up. I know I've heard from so many people for so many reasons, these competing things. I've heard people say, I feel very passionate. Something needs to happen. I need to do ministry. I need to do X, Y, and Z. But then this deep sense of, I'm stuck, I can't do it, nothing's working. Maybe God loves you very much. And wait for the day where you feel the joy again. When Zechariah's son's born, the family's debating names, and the messenger had told him what to do. Can you imagine how nervous Zechariah must have been at this moment? They're trying to name his kid. He hasn't spoken in nine months, and he gets up the energy and the urge to try to speak. Imagine how nervous that'd make you. I'm gonna try, it's not gonna work. I have this terrible dream where something bad is happening and I'm called to speak up and I try and I've got no voice. And I can imagine that's sort of how he's feeling. He knows he's had no voice and now he's going to try, but he tries again. His name is John and the words move past his muted lips and he speaks God's word again. That's, what he, that's his whole vocation. He was a priest and his heart was filled with joy. And I, I hope for this for many of you and many people we know who've been waiting right? For what God has for them. I hope for that day. I hope you don't lose hope. I hope you try again. Nick, man, if you're out there, I look forward to the day you speak to us again. I don't know what that's going to look like, and there's no rush, but man, I can't wait. So, Where do we anchor all these blessings? Blessed are those who believe. Blessed are those who hear. It's because blessed is the child. So God was keeping his promise in the most unexpected way possible. So we can see, if you look factually at the Bible and such, you can see Genesis 3.15. You can see that there's going to be a son born to the woman who crushes the serpent's head. You may, it may not be clear what that means, but we can see that. We can see, flash forward in the writings of Paul looking back on Jesus, that this was actually the will of God from the beginning. Ephesians 1, 3-4, here's what Paul said. Blessed or happy be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. What does that mean? That means that it was always the will of God that Jesus would come into the world and that is how we would come to be connected to God. That's how we would receive the Holy Spirit. That's how we would have hope. That was always the plan. And the blessing or a blessing is an act of grace unmerited favor, unearned happiness. And we need it. We, we need it. And we would expect, um, I think, and this is exactly what was happening in the days of Jesus' birth, that our salvation would come the way that we sense it, right? That, you know, our enemies would get crushed. Our problems would would be taken away. Our issues would be obliterated and resolved. Our anxieties, our depression, stuff like that, would be lifted off and and done away with and taken away. But instead, we are given a child. Why is that? And I think it's this, because, and think about this in the life of, Elizabeth and Mary, when, did they, when they got the hope, they got the Holy Spirit just because Jesus was here. He hadn't even done anything yet. He was just here. It's just his presence. The other name for Jesus given to us in the, in the Christmas story is Emmanuel, God with us. And I think that's the preeminent thing that we need is just the presence of God with us. Have you meditated on what that would do to your soul if you knew it? If in those times when you felt like alone, when those times when you felt like my life isn't going anywhere, when when you felt misunderstood, when you felt like nobody was ever going to stand up for you, what if you just had a deep sense that Jesus, that God, was here. It was going to be okay. My buddy, I had to go to court for something really painful, and my friend Rod went with me, okay? If you've ever met Rod, he's 10 foot 6, or 6 foot 10, or one of those. He's huge, and we call him the human Xanax, and he just has this effect some of you like the human Xanax. I mean, you know, go, you know, think about it. Um, going to court with Rod is so much different than going alone. Going through life with Jesus is so much different than going through life alone. This Christmas season, I want, I want us to learn and to see that this promised child was God in the flesh who came into our situation, who was born into our situation. That what Mary and Elizabeth experienced of the unborn child bringing joy and the Holy Spirit and a sense that God is at work and he's doing his will and it's going to come to pass, I want that to sink deep into our souls. Jesus has come. God is with us. And then we could cry out to God to calm our anxious hearts, to loosen our lips to praise him, to turn our mourning into joy and into peace. And for Christians, we have to remember um, and why I told you this whole story about the situation that he came into. He came into confusing times in utter weakness, just as a child, but that presence was enough to transform the hearts of those who saw him, okay? Of course, he ministered in miraculous power years later, but then what did he do? He takes the position of weakness again. He's not fighting back when he's arrested. He's not denying charges. He's getting hung on a cross. He's not calling down angels from heaven. He's in the weak space again when we needed him. Why is that? Because he was showing us My presence is enough and my grace is enough. And we can wait for God to save us from whatever we deal with when we know he's with us and that he has given himself for us. So that's what the table is about this evening. as It always is, but this evening, think of it this way. We come to this table because he entered in. We, came to this, we come to this table because his presence was actually here, and he said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. This is an anchoring in the reality that is actually here, that his body was here. He died and shed his blood on a cross, and it was real. And the grace is actual, and his presence has never left. His life and death are a pattern for us. It shows us that he comes in weakness, but that through his weakness, he gives us hope, but our job is to follow him in redemptive suffering. It will not be easy. But his death and resurrection are our anchor because this whole thing is about joy. After all that happened, Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father, And in his ascension, we believe that he will return, just as he said. That he will not leave us alone. He's going to be with us. That experience that Adam and Eve had in the garden, intimacy, it's secure. It's coming. And for now, we wait in joy. Let's pray, and we're going to do three things. We're going to sing to God, and we're going to express This faith, even if it's weak within us, we have giving in the back at this time. We have the Lord's table. If you believe this, by the way, even just a little bit, this table is for you. I'll be up here serving, but you can come and receive this. If you can say to yourself, even if you can just say, Jesus, I want it to be true, make it true in my life, then he is there. He can open your eyes to see him and the table is for you. We're going to sing, but before that, we're going to deal with the bad news, and that's that we're broken people. We struggle in our faith, and we, we need God's help. So there's going to be two minutes of confession, and that time is just for you to sit before God, and whichever theme you may have picked up on tonight, um, talk to him about it. If you're kind of a David figure and you've sinned deeply, the truth is that he can redeem you in a second because Jesus died on the cross. If you're kind of a Zechariah figure and you say, like, I think I know all this stuff, but I don't believe, it's just I'm struggling, you can just come to him and say, I believe, help my unbelief. Or maybe you're like, this is just so true to me and I love it, then just praise him. But you have two minutes to sit before him. The band will bring us back. And then I'll come and serve Lord's Supper to all of us. So I'll pray and then leave space for you. Father in heaven, I pray that we would sense the joy of your coming into the world, your incarnation this Christmas. I know we're starting early here, but I pray that our hearts would be just steeped in it. I pray that by the time all the the Christmas lights are up and the trees and the gifts that we'll be so far ahead of it that we'll just consider all those things little happy sidelines compared to what you have done in entering into our lives in, in this incarnation. I pray that the Holy Spirit would open eyes to see you who have never seen you before. I pray that the Spirit that is leaping within some of us would cause others to see who you are, I pray that those of us who are tired and muted would be healed and would rest in you and just savor the goodness of who you are and what you've done. As we come before you, heal our broken hearts. Grant us your grace. You say that when we confess to you, you're faithful and just. You forgive us. That's what you want to do. You cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So help us to come boldly before your throne of grace, in Jesus' name.